We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. And welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And if you're just joining us uh, for our number two of tonight's show, welcome. And uh, if you'd like to uh, find out more about the Exxon Broadcast Network and the fine programming we have available for you 24-7-365, visit www.xzbn.net. Now, for the Exxon TV channel, well, there's a little bit more complicated because... Let me try to explain it to you. It depends where you are in the world. There you go. Uh, if you'd like to watch us on Simultv, www.simultv.com, we're channel number 21. Now, we're also on Comcast, we're also on iLaunch, we're on Jungo TV, and we're distributed around the world by Simultv as well as Globecast. Wow, we're growing, thanks to you, the members of the Exxon Nation. Our guest this hour is Nicole Strickland, and uh, Nicole um, currently resides in California and has been innately intrigued with the paranormal since childhood, having thus studied the field for many years. She has been actively investigating historical landmarks and private residences for paranormal activity since the early 2000s, after a profound experience with, spirit, with the spirit of her beloved grandmother. Joining me now is Nicole Strickland. Uh, Strickland and Nicole, welcome back to the Exxon. Great having you with us. Thank you so much for having me tonight. It's all—it's an honor to be back on. Thank oh, you. Geez, you've got me blushing. Stop that. <laughs> That's always a good thing, right? <laughs> it is. Um, for the listeners who did not have the pleasure of hearing you the last time, tell us a little bit about yourself and 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 your quest within the paranormal. Oh, absolutely. So I have always told people that I think I was born into paranormal research. What I mean by that is I've always had an innate fascination and intrigue with the realm. And I was born in Huntington Beach, California. I'm currently living in San Diego now. And uh, so I was born in Huntington Beach. And then my dad got a job in Las Vegas, Nevada. So I moved from Huntington Beach to Las Vegas, Nevada and lived there uh, until I was around seven years old. And at that house that we lived in, I had some really odd experiences there that I couldn't explain. And my parents were very open to my experiences. I'm sure that they thought when I was around three, four and five years old that I was probably I guess, interacting with an imaginary friend. Now that I'm an adult and I've been doing a lot of research now for 20 years, I do honestly feel that I was interacting with spiritual energy of some sort. And so that interest stayed with me growing up into the middle school years and in my high school years and even into my college years. 
I got my hands on any book or article that I could read. And I had a very unexpected yet profound encounter the uh, senior year of my college uh, times at the University of Arizona. And it was one of those experiences that I never imagined that I would have. It just occurred. And so my mom's mother, so my maternal grandmother, and I share this story a lot on radio shows. So for those that haven't heard, uh, she was diagnosed with congestive heart failure in 2001. So my senior year of college. And she called me, my grandmother, her name was Helen. Helen called me the day before she passed, uh, just wanting to ask me how I was doing. And, and, I, and I told her I'm fine, you know, busy with school. And I talked with her about 10 minutes and then hung up the phone. And then the next afternoon, I got a call from my mom letting me know that uh, she had passed in the early hours. So, of course, I was extremely devastated. I was very close to very close to Helen. And so I flew back out to San Diego to be with the family uh, for a couple of days. And so once that weekend passed, I went back out to Tucson, Arizona, where the University of Arizona is based. And not right away did this start. But after about a week, I started experiencing odd phenomena in my apartment that I had never experienced prior uh, the doorknobs of my bedroom door and the front door would rattle mm. and, and twist and turn by themselves. And I thought, oh, it's my neighbors. It's some sort of vibration caused by my neighbors. So I did these various tests and I, and I couldn't explain. I just couldn't come up with a, a logical explanation for why that was happening. And so uh, after that, a couple of days later, I was in my bedroom and I felt a disembodied hand Ooh. caress my face. And it felt as though it came from someone that I knew and loved. And I mm. didn't see the hand or anything. It's just I felt it on my face. And that's when I started to connect the dots like, okay, is my grandmother making an appearance here in spirit form? And so yet another few days went by and the I guess culminating experience of it all uh, occurred again I was in my bedroom I was studying for a midterm and I noticed out of my peripheral vision this movement this light and when I looked up I saw my grandmother standing there solid very solid just like you looking at me or me looking at you she looked about 10 years younger slight smile on her face it looked as though she was lit from behind so had some sort of spotlight on her back. And it lasted, I want to say, about a good second, which is a long time for an encounter. And then she faded. And it was just such a profound experience. And that, again, occurred the following night. And I, at this point, talked with my mom and told her what I was experiencing. And her, my mom and I decided to openly talk with Helen to let her know that she's okay. You know, she's free to move on. The family's okay. And once we did that, those experiences stopped. So that was the most profound experience that actually catapulted me into wanting to investigate the paranormal and learn more about paranormal research and investigation. So I started after that working with different teams in the Southern California area. And then in 2009, I developed the San Diego Paranormal Research Society. And so we're, uh, I'm proud to say that we're one of San Diego's leading teams 
We do a lot of cases here. Uh, we host tours of the Ranch of Buena Vista Adobe. Mm-hmm. We're a very educational team. We offer presentations and classes about how to conduct an investigation. So, you know, it's kind of like the rest is history, as they say. Yeah. So it's 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 a journey. It's been a it's been a really good journey. Why do you think the paranormal is so uh, is is so popular these days? You know, it's such a good question. I often pon- I, I think about this every day, mm-hmm. actually, and I don't I don't know if there's some unexplainable reason, like maybe some universal cosmic reason for it. I know that it's more in our mainstream media. You know, a lot of the the television shows that yes. people watch. You know, there's more and more people getting into the field, so there's more information out there about it. So I think that that plays a role. And I just think the interest is there for so many people now. And so I think that that can be a beneficial thing and then maybe not so beneficial. Uh, but uh, I, you know, it's, I know it's constantly evolving, the field. So, Do you think we'll ever find the answers that we're all seeking? Oh, gosh, you know, again, another, I think about this, too, almost on a daily basis. I'm not so sure. I mean, I I question, you know, is it supposed to remain elusive until maybe we're departed and we've reached that level? I don't know. I mean, you know, I know that there's, there's ways and there's more advances technologically to maybe where we can develop more hypotheses and, and, and methodology to test, but I'm not so sure if we're ever going to find the answers. We I, haven't yet, so, I, you know, it's, I think about that all the time. I often wonder if it's because we're not thinking outside of the box. We're trying to use modern technology, modern means, and modern right. techniques on a phenomenon that is so, so old that right. what we're using is totally antiquated and not applicable to what we're looking at. Listen, you That's and I have to... Excellent yeah. point. Excellent. Nicole, you and I have to take our first break. Please stand by. And Nation, Nicole Strickland is our special guest this hour. If you'd like to find out more about the San Diego Paranormal Research Society, their website is San Diego Paranormalresearch.com. And Nicole and I will be back on the other side of this break. As we continue talking about the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology. And we're also going to talk to Nicole about her research that she's done into the RMS Queen Mary. I'm Rob McConnell. This is the X-Zone, and we're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget, every Tuesday night, the X-Zone TV show on Cable 14 throughout, on, uh, throughout Hamilton and surrounding areas. For more information, just go to XZoneTV.com. have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
Welcome back, everyone. Nicole Strickland is our special guest. Her website is sandiegoparanormalresearch.com. Speaking about the San Diego Paranormal Research Society, um, where, in your opinion, has been the most haunted place that you and the, and your team have investigated? Oh, excellent question. I mean, we've we've uh, concentrated on on private residence cases throughout San Diego County. Mm-hmm. We're very selective with those types of cases for obvious reasons. In terms of historical cases, again, we've done many uh, within uh, San Diego County and beyond, such as the RMS Queen Mary. I would say, for us, since we've spent eight years here at this location, it's up in Vista, which is about. 25 minutes north of San Diego, and it's situated right in between San Marcos and and Oceanside, if you're familiar with the area. And that location is the Rancho Buena Vista Adobe. So it's one of the last remaining land ranchos here in San Diego. There's another one up there as well called Rancho Guajome. And we've spent, like I said, about eight years now going on nine years at the at the Adobe. And we've we host our uh, monthly Spirits of the Adobe historical slash paranormal fundraising tours mm-hmm. there, but we've also conducted our own private research as well. And and my team's co-director Ali Schreiber and I have spent many hours inside this this location. And my definition of a haunting is that there has to be some sort of historical connection that the ethereal entities have to that location. And I'm seeing this with the Rancho Buena Vista Adobe. So this landmark goes back to 1850 when Governor Pio Pico deeded it to Felipe Subria, who was a San Luis Rey uh, Native American. And so since that time, or since from that time until 1989, when the city of Vista purchased the property, it has seen many owners, uh, including uh, Holly, noted Hollywood uh, film director and producer Harry Pollard and his wife, silent screen act- actress Margarita Fisher, uh, Isadora Bandini de Couts of the legendary Bandini family here in San Diego, Cave Johnson Couts, another pioneer in San Diego's history. So it's seen many owners and many residents throughout its time. And for some reason, we're seeing various types of paranormal activity there on a consistent basis, both visual, uh, auditory, tactile, even in phantom smells even come in. And it's, it's interesting because we've been able to collect some very uh, profound, historically relevant audio files from this location. And with the whole instrumental transcommunication methodology, real-time communication, I don't put a lot of emphasis on that by itself, but when I start seeing a lot of these profound sorts of communication that we're having with us and the entities, it's you know, I'm placing more emphasis on that. And I, for some reason, ITC seems to work really well at this location. We've had like answers to some of our questions. We've been able to take certain responses that come through that are uh, historically relevant, if you will. And we've been able to match those responses to actual 
history of the property. So it's, I would say the Adobe is probably way up there on the list. And of course the Queen Mary as well. Sure. But let, let me ask you a question about the Adobe. Why is it some properties or some locations like the Adobe remain haunted while other locations, the majority of locations may be haunted, but the haunting doesn't remain. I think, you know, there's, I think that there's so many theories that mm -hmm. may explain why I know that here in Southern California, there's the whole ley line emphasis. And I know that there's a lot of those in and around the San Diego area. It could be a geological factor uh, going on up there. There could be some sort of portal that exists on the property, if you will. Uh, it, it just, it, I guess it depends on whether there's a lot of residual phenomena there mm -hmm. or if it's mostly intelligent, which in our experience, there seems to be more intelligent interaction going on at the Adobe. And I, you know, I'm sure that there's other, I'm sure it's some of it's supposed to remain elusive, but uh, I mean, I know there's a theory that some places that are near water or near train tracks as mm -hmm. well may, may have some heightened activity and there are train tracks nearby the Adobe, but I think we're going in on a monthly basis, uh, making an effort to communicate with the residents there. So maybe that in and of itself kind of keeps them going. So maybe it wouldn't, have, wouldn't be as active as let's say, you know, no teams ever gone in. So okay. I, I just think there's various different factors that can maybe explain why. Do you find, uh, since you go in there on a monthly basis and, and you, actively seek interaction with the spirits that are there, the ghosts. Do you find that they are getting to be familiar with you and the other members of your team? Absolutely. This is something that Allie and I talk about a lot. Mm -hmm. And I would say when we first started, it, the activity and personal experiences that, that we had are I guess when we first started up until now, it's a vast difference. I would say, especially in the last few years, we're able to go in and we will actually hear our names called like, wow. hi, Allie, hi, Nicole, uh, auditor, I mean, just disembodied, if you mm. will. And then, of course, EVP sometimes, you know, we don't hear it at the time, but it's captured on a recording device. We're able to almost recognize the same types of voices that come through for us on a monthly basis, which is very interesting. We've even had vocalizations coming through announcing names of past owners and or residents, such as Maria Antonia, which is one of the, she's one of the daughters of the Couts family. Uh, Isadora Bandini has, has come through announcing her name. Uh, there's an entity there by the name of Juan. We think that he, his remains were found in one of the rooms in the adobe called the Major Domo Room. But it, it's just so fascinating. So mm -hmm. I think, yes, I do think that they're starting to know who we are, and they know that we go in there with respect, and they know that we go in there with good intent. And I think that that makes, in a way, makes them feel comfortable to come through for us and our guests. Well, I, I'm, I'm very happy to hear the way that you conduct yourself, because I've, I've had the you know, I, I've, I've spoken to so many of the new type of, they call themselves researchers, uh, yeah. but I, I call them thugs, 
where they actually go in and they're disrespectful to the spirits oh, and they're disrespectful to the property. Yeah. You know, this is this is something that Allie and I, one of our mm-hmm. ultimate core values is respect and reverence. I don't care what that entity was or how that entity was in life. Yeah. Assuming that, that that entity is a deceased person like like you and I, I mean, getting just the golden rule, you know, going in, treating that location and, and them with respect is just absolutely necessary. Yeah, it, it breaks my heart yeah. that, you know, the whole provocation and everything, it's, it's, it's terrible. Do you find that there are a lot more groups who are now using a demonic association with the with their their research yes and it's it's kind of a sore spot in my Mm -hmm. side this is more for me as uh and the team it it just it's irritating to us and i think you know there's so many people that aren't trained as researchers maybe they're armchair ghost hunters if you will i don't even like to use that term but you know they're watching these shows right many of which want to give off the impression that the spirit world is nothing but evil and wicked and malevolent. Mm -hmm. And they take what they're seeing as face value. And then that, you know, gets their psyche going. And then before you know it, my team and other teams are getting requests saying, Oh, I'm being attacked. And, and Oh, there's a demon in my house. And I mean, the chances of that are so rare and it's sad because, you know, in our experience, some of the many of the encounters that we had are just anything but malevolent or negative. And so uh, it's kind of it really is a sore spot for us. Well, I guess it's because sensationalism seems to be the keyword. And a number of these people right. who go in for the demonic aspect are, you know, they're they're trying to get their fifteen seconds of fame on on a television show. And you know, in my opinion, they're doing it the wrong way. That's, I, I can't yeah. agree with you more. Absolutely. It's so sad. And I think it's so disrespectful to the spirit mm-hmm. realm. I'm not saying that negative ener- entities and negative energies don't exist. Right. But, I mean, true, authentic, demonic haunting is so rare, in my opinion. Nicole, please stand by. You and I have to take our break at the bottom of the hour with the news. And explanation, if you'd like to find out more about my guest this hour, Nicole Strickland, her website is sandiegoparanormalresearch.com. And Nicole and I will be back on the other side of this break with the news as we continue investigating the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here in the X-Zone with yours truly, Rob McConnell, from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you have a question for me, same email address for the last 20 years. Actually, 30 years. Where did I, I, I just I just got younger by 10 years. Let's try this again. For the last 30 years, Exxon at ExxonRadioTV.com. that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast but the rest of us sleep in this is your sign to thank them and if you're that friend this is us saying thank you 
Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Combo meal, single item at regular price. Welcome back, everyone. Nicole Strickland is our special guest this hour. Her website is www.sandiegoparanormalresearch.com. You've done extensive research uh, at the RMS Queen Mary. Can you tell us about that? Oh, absolutely. I've actually spent about 15 years now, going on 15 years, both historical Mm -hmm. and paranormal research of the liner, and I've written three books about the ship, which are all sold on, on board as well, and of course on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. You know, the Queen Mary is one of those locations It's extremely near and dear to my heart. I first glimpsed the ship back in the year 2000 when I was here on spring break, and I went on a, a short three-day cruise with my friend. There's a carnival cruise port adjacent to the ship, and I, I just remember seeing it for the first time, and I said to myself, I will be back someday. And so that day came around 2005, and I remember stepping on board on A deck, which is one of the hotel decks on board, and I mm-hmm. I just had this very, very strong feeling like I've been to the ship before, but that was my first time. A lot of people, there was someone that I met that does past life regression and seems to think I have some sort of past life with the ship somehow, and I think that that might be a possibility but it's just such strong, a strong, like almost soul connection that I have to the Queen Mary. Very hard to put in words. But I have had the opportunity to conduct with various teams many different investigations in numerous areas of the Queen Mary. So as you know, it's now situated in Long Beach, has been there since December 9th of 1967. I've investigated the former first and third class pool, the aft engine room, the boiler rooms, the bridge area, many different staterooms on board, the wheelhouse, I mean, you name it, and I've, I've been there. And it's one of those locations, I think, that is extremely haunted. If any location in the world had the key to explaining exactly what goes on, maybe in the spirit world, I mm-hmm. think the Queen Mary would have one of those keys. But why? But why? Why is it yeah. so? Why is it so haunted? Like it has no, uh, no dark history. It no. wasn't. It didn't no. sink. It wasn't involved in a wreck. You know. So why do you think the Queen Mary and not other ships? I, I know other ships are haunted, but not to the extent that that you and other investigators have found the Queen Mary out to be. I, you know, I think that there's an elusive reason that we're not supposed to know that maybe only the ship knows. And mm-hmm. some people may call me nuts for, for saying this, and that's fine. But I, in my experience, I think the ship is very much alive. You know, she has her own thoughts, her yeah. own emotions, uh, her own feelings, and she communicates to certain people. She communicates to everyone, but she's drawn to certain people. And uh, I think there's theories that may I think there's more than one reason and some of which is obviously going to remain elusive but of course it 
sits in a body of water. Mm -hmm. We know that water is a conductor for electricity. There's uh, my friend Tony Ashland has a very interesting theory. He was a former crew member on board, and he does amateur radio operation. And he told me once, he said, you know, Nicole, I think the Queen Mary is one big giant transmitter and receiver because she has the EMF grounding plane in the bridge. She has miles of copper wiring. And in the former first and third class pool, there's quartz ceiling there. There's mm -hmm. bits of quartz on the ceiling. And so he said, that's all you need really yeah. to make a, you know, like an amateur crystal radio sort of exactly. thing. And I said, God, that's so profound. So I think there's, you know, that could be a theory. I think there's a psychokinetic mm -hmm. uh reason as well there's so many people going in day in and day out wanting to to connect with the ship and wanting to uh, experience her many different resident energies so i think that can play into it and i also think that you know think of the so many, the amount of people that have been on board such as myself that fall in absolute love with the queen mary i've talked with former crew former passenger passengers even veterans that sailed on the ship during World War II. And they've, you know, many of them have said, God, you know, there's just something about the ship. I never wanted to leave. I got upset when I had to leave. It was just like being on, at, at home while on board. So maybe, you know, for many of the people that are no longer with us mm -hmm. that sailed on board, maybe they are coming back in, in spirit to, to pay their respects and, and to, to still be with the ship. So I think there's all these different theories that, kind of work together to potentially explain why, but there's something very, very profound going on on that ship. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. What kind of paranormal activity did you witness while you were doing your investigations onto the Queen Mary? I would say uh, different, different types of, of personal experiences I've had, different types of, of data that um, I've collected. Mm -hmm. I would say... The ship is known for more visual types of encounters. People have seen full-bodied apparitions, partially manifested figures. The shadow figure phenomenon really, really uh, prominent, especially in the in the pool room. Uh, let's see, EVP captures audio, and I would say audio and visual are the two prolific types of, I guess, uh, data that you can collect on the Queen Mary many different disembodied vocalizations, various EVP captures. Uh, let's see, ITC sometimes, depending on where you are on the ship, seems to work, especially in the RDEC forward area, uh, in the rope locker area. Uh, people have had phantom smells, such as cigar smoke. Uh, and there's a lot of the soldiers used to smoke when they were on board. Winston Churchill sailed on the ship many times during the war. M-Deck was reserved for him, and he was known to smoke his cigars. So there's all these different types of, of paranormal phenomena. In my experiences, though, visual and auditory seem to be the most prolific. Hmm. It's amazing. It, it certainly sounds amazing. And yes. what was it like the very first time, I mean, besides having the experience uh, of your of your grandmother, Helen, when you saw her after she had departed for that one second. What was it like after you saw another apparition that that could not be, you know, thought of, well, you know, it was my grandmother, I missed her, I saw her, but 
an apparition or a paranormal experience that had no direct connection with you whatsoever. What was that like? It, you know, it was still very fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And of course, see, I'm a very analytical type of person. And of course, if, when I, and I've, I had, I've had many sightings of, of apparitions, including some of the, my most profound being on the Queen Mary. And my mind starts asking questions, you know, like, who is, you know, mm. if, if I don't know maybe who the, the person is, like, who is this person? Right. Why am I seeing this person? Is this an intelligent interaction? Is, is it just meant for me to see this person? So my mind starts going in overdrive. And even though I may not have ever obviously met this person and know who this person is, it's still, it's still very important to me because it's something that, you know, I, I least expect, number one. But number two, I just... It makes me want to find out and more about who he or she may be. So it's yeah, and I've I've I find too in my research that you know our our senses. I think if we ignore our senses, that can be to our detriment. I think it's very important to to use our senses when doing this sort of research. And I've noticed that my clairvoyant abilities have increased tenfold. I guess doing paranormal research i'm seeing more and more you know anomalies with my eyes and it's it's so so intriguing do you think that's because you're using it more that you're actually fine-tuning your own abilities i think so i think so sometimes i i equate it to like a sport Mm -hmm. and that everyone can kick a ball yes but you know, the more you practice kicking that ball, the better you're going to fine-tune it, like you said. And so that's kind of how I explain it. I absolutely think, because I'm using it more, you know, I'm, I'm developing that skill, so to speak. And I think everyone has the ability to, to be intuitive, to, to interact with a uh, with an ethereal entity, just to take some work and more practice. I, I would imagine the hardest part of learning how to communicate or or to have the experience is to actually believe, open up your, your heart, open up your mind and your ears to the possibility of it happening. Right. That, that's a big, a big key right there. And I, I have done that. I mean, I think it's, mm-hmm. you have to be open-minded. There has to be a healthy dose of skepticism when sure. doing this work. If you go in so close-minded, you may be in a sense, you know, closing the door to having very, profound, unique experiences. Nicole, you and I have to take our final break. When we come back, I'd like to talk to you about some of the historical investigations that you've done. And uh, let me ask you this question, and I'll give you a couple of minutes to think about it. Is there a difference between investigating a residential haunting or residential paranormal experience compared to the historical sites that you do? We'll be yes. back on the other side yeah. of this break, so please stand by in Nation if you'd like to find out more about Nicole, um, or if you'd like to find out more about the books that she's written, where you can buy them, visit her website at www.sandiegoparanormalresearch.com. And for information on the Spirited Queen Mary, visit the website and blog, spiritedqueenmary.com. I'm Rob McConnell, Nicole Strickland, and I will be back on the other side of this break as we wrap up this hour here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada.
And uh, before we get back to Nicole, I would just like to remind everyone that the X Chronicles newspaper is available for one and all with our compliments each and every month at xchroniclesnewspaper.com. And uh, for if you're a, somebody out there and you're looking for a paranormal researcher, if you're looking for somebody who deals with UFOs, whatever the case is within the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology, Go to the X-Zone directory of Who's Who. Now, it's online. We also have a digital digital version. We also have a print version. But go to the one online. The website is www.xzonedirectory.com forward slash s-i-n-d-e-x dot h-t-m-l. And you'll be able to to use the search engine, look for the person that you're looking for, look for a group, look for a team in your area, no matter what you're looking for, it's right there. Now, if you'd like to have your team or yourself listed in the directory, www.xz, wait a sec, xzdww.net. That's www.xzdww.net. Dot net. All right, Exo Nation, our guest this hour is Nicole Strickland. First of all, Nicole, I want to thank you ever so much for joining us. Great talking to you, and uh, thanks for sharing time with us. Oh, absolutely. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for having me tonight, for having me. Oh, it's our great pleasure. Nicole, before we went to the commercial break, I asked you, is there a difference when you and your team are researching or investigating a residential haunting or paranormal activity compared to a historical site? whether it's a haunting or a paranormal activity? Excellent question. There are various differences. So, of course, you know, if it, your methodology that you use may mm-hmm. be similar. The equipment that you use may be similar. You're, you're going to do your vigil work and that, and that sort of thing. You know, the evidence review and data analysis uh, process is going to be similar. But with a historical location, a lot of the curators and museum operators are, are aware of the types of phenomena that are mm-hmm. occurring just in, based on having so many teams coming in. And, uh, of course, there may be some other eyewitnesses that, that come up frequently. But with a private residence, you're dealing not only with the psychology, I guess, of the energies that you're working with, but you're dealing with the various psychologies of the homeowners or the renters, let's say if it's an apartment. So we're very selective with uh, taking on a case for various reasons. If we suspect, you know, physical illness or mental illness or emotional instability or anything like that, Mm -hmm. we're not going to necessarily recommend doing a full-fledged paranormal research project. Or let's say, there are three adults in the that in the. Uh, Nicole, are you there? And two, uh, let's say the others aren't. I would mm-hmm. say that's reason for us to not, you know, proceed with the investigation. Private residence work is a lot like, I would say, social work. You know, so you have to take into account a lot more than just your typical going into a historical location and setting up your equipment and conducting your various methodologies. So there's, you know, different, the client interview process with private residence cases is a lot more extensive, you know, sensitive questions may be asked. Mm -hmm. We do ask questions 
pertaining to medication, you know, any, any types of pharmaceuticals that, that people may be on, uh, things like, of that nature. So it's a lot like social work. So where, where do you find you get the most cooperation? Do you get the most cooperation from the residential people, or do you get the more, most and better cooperation from the historical sites? I would say it, it, it pretty much every historical site, uh, site that I've investigated has been extremely cooperative mm-hmm. and, and businesses as well. You know, sometimes with private residence cases, you may get a, a request that uh, they're interested in, in having us come out. We Our policy is to have them fill out our investigative request form, which has some interesting questions on there. And we ask them, of all clients, PR clients, we'll ask them to do that. Once we receive that, we'll schedule a phone interview. A lot of times we won't get those requests. So sometimes it may just be someone that's, I mean, this is just an example off the top of my head, but maybe watched a scary movie or maybe watched a ghost show and then, you know, the mind started playing tricks on that person and then the person thinks that he or she has a ghost in his or her house and then contacts us, but it never really goes anywhere. So, it, you know, there's out of, I would say, 100% of the private residence cases that we've done, there are several that that never really turned into anything. Nicole, when, so. it, when it comes to you and your team uh, doing investigations, whether residential or historical, what is your preferred methodology and why? I think that we blend, you know, using the the, the various audio methodology, mm-hmm. you know, EVP work, uh, real-time spirit box, ITC work, Vigil, I think doing vigils are extremely important. I don't see enough teams doing this. And in my opinion, a vigil needs to be done at the beginning and at during the middle and throughout and and at the end. And so that's getting a sense of the environment before you even start doing a bunch of experiments, getting a sense of the environment Mm -hmm. and letting your, your own intuitive senses get adjusted to the environment just kind of observing with all of your senses, I think that that will help with other types of methodology that you do later on during the investigation. So that's something that that we use a lot. And I don't see it. I see a lot of teams setting up and immediately jumping into investigating. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, did you guys get attuned to the environment yet? You know, that's something that I think is very important and, and often overlooked. Uh, we've had really good luck with uh, blending metaphysical types of devices like divining rods, mm-hmm. using pendulums, various crystals in our work. We've had good luck blending that in with environmental monitoring devices or other types of equipment, cameras, video cameras, audio recorders, if you will. So we tend to blend the metaphysical, the intuitive, and the scientific. Some people don't like to use the word science, paranormal research, but when I say scientific, I mean I'm using what I mean is using various technology and and, and applying the scientific, I guess, uh, principle. So that's that's what we use. I think by using all three of those, you get a more holistic, mm-hmm. I guess, approach and a more broad approach to your to your research. Where do you see 
the investigations into the paranormal 10 years from now? Oh, my goodness. You know, I think about this, too. I think that we're at a crossroads. I think that the field can really advance or it can be set back, obviously, due to to the sensationalism and, mm. and, and whatnot. I think that, and depending on if you're more of the ghost hunter versus the paranormal research, because there's a different psychological mindset between the two, in my opinion, but for us paranormal researchers, I think that more hypotheses are going to be tested, more methodologies are going to be developed, uh, obviously more advances in technology that may work against us and may work for us it just depends i'd like to i'd i'd hope that there's more of a unified collaboration i'm seeing kind of a a discourse with or a you know kind of a what's the word i'm trying to can't think of the right word but i'm you know i i i still see that lack of unity among groups and i'm hoping that that improves yeah, you know, like I, I use an example when I when I talk to the different groups, as well as not only in the paranormal field, but in the Bigfoot and research, as well as UFOs. When I was a cop, we would share information with other law enforcement agencies, because the more people you have looking, the faster you're going to get to the results. And for for the different groups not to want to share the information that they have because they want to have the smoking gun and they think that they're going to get all the the glory, I find that childish. It is. Tell me about it. It absolutely is. I mean, there's the word that I use a lot is ego. It's like oil and water. It just Mm -hmm. doesn't, you can't be an egotistical, narcissistic type of team and expect to you know, work well in this sort of environment. It just doesn't work. The time has come, my dear friend, when you and I must say so long, but let our listeners know how they can find out more about you and where they can buy your books. Sure. Well, my books are all on Amazon and like barnesandnoble.com. And then if if you're on the Queen Mary, my books are there. My three books about the ship are there. I'm on Facebook. So the STPRS, facebook.com slash our acronym SDPRS, and then I'm on Facebook, uh, facebook.com, Nicole PISD. I also have an author page on there as well, San Diego Paranormal Research.com, author Nicole Strickland.com. I'm on Twitter at, at uh, what is it, SDPRS Nicole, and Instagram on, uh, what am I, Instagram <laughs> at author Nicole. <laughs> I'm like thinking about what am I. Uh, author Nicole Strickland for Instagram. So. Nicole, we have to say yeah. so long, sweetie. But do me a favor. Come back and visit us again. You bet. Thank you so much. You take care of yourself. And uh, Exxon Nation, we'll have all the information on how you can contact Nicole on our website at exxonradiotv.com. I'm Rob McConnell. I'll be back after the news. And for those of you who will not be joining us, always remember to keep your eyes to the sky and your heart to the light. I'll be back. who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. 
Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.